It's a good day. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Y'all are good Baptists waiting for permission to sit uh, and permission to stand. Um, I hope you just will just rejoice in your heart uh, that the Lord answer our prayers with our sister Deanna. And uh, we want to know how we can be praying for you. And uh, so don't hesitate. Send an email. Um, uh, if you go to our website, there's a place where you can put prayer requests in. We want to be praying for you. Um, welcome. It is good to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being flexible. We don't know what's going to happen with uh, everything these days. And so the, the watchword is be flexible. Watch uh, the uh, Facebook page. Watch our uh, website and kind of be uh, aware that we may need to change on a dime, but in the meantime, we're just thankful that we get to be together and see at least part of our faces uh, this morning. As I begin, um, <laughs> I, one of my, I don't have Twitter, but uh, someone sent to me a tweet, came from Jojo Sanchez with three Zs at the end, uh, and, it, and, it, and it reads this way, I cannot believe that the Tiger King turned out to be the no most normal part of 2020. <laughs> so I don't know about y'all, but uh, I need to go ahead and say that 2020 has messed me up, and um, I am, I feel, man, feel, even today, I feel like uh, 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 the light, I feel like I'm coming around the, the bend, I feel like there's uh, been a change, I feel like the Spirit of the Lord, I'm just, I'm just so thankful, Jesus, that you've... Uh, put down in me some, some things that are, uh, have been after me in 2020, and uh, anxiety in my, that I felt, and anger that I felt, Lord, I'm just thankful, and I just, and I know y'all have been as messed up as I am, because I've been talking to you, I've been, I've been uh, texting with you and calling you, and I'm going to go ahead and spill your beans here, but uh, y'all been feeling the same thing I have, um, and it's interesting, I noticed, uh, as I did have talked to folks in here, that there was a lot of the same words being used. That made me feel a lot better about how I was feeling. And then I started noticing that people are coming out with studies on, on 2020. In 2020, folks are coming out with studies on 2020 about how we're being affected by this crazy year. Um, but these studies started coming out and revealing that people across the country were expressing some of the same feelings that I've heard from folks in this room and and even in my own heart, disorientation, anxiety, overwhelm, exhaustion, restlessness, simmering anger, hopelessness. Did I mention disorientation, like what the heck is going on kind of disorientation? If you've been feeling these things, I want you to know you are not alone. Studies show that you are not alone. So I've been keeping my eyes out for uh, Bible passages that speak to how many of us are feeling right now. And at some point I came back around to John uh, chapter 13 uh, through 15. Actually, if you're able, uh, you can go ahead and be turning your uh, Bibles to John 13. What I'm going to do, we've got one verse from here that's going to be our kind of focus verse for uh, the day. But um, the context of 13 through 15 is kind of the the Last Supper, it's the time when Jesus is with his disciples for the last time before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and I'm going to just kind of set the stage, and you can kind of follow along with me, if, uh, if you will, as we get to our passage for today. I don't know if you're supposed to say things like this, you know, as a pastor, but John is my favorite of the four Gospels, and John 13 through 15 is one of my favorite sections of John's Gospel. So I've read it many times, and my Bible is marked up in this section. But in all the times that I read it, I haven't really thought about it from the perspective of the disciples. There's so much amazing things, so many amazing things that Jesus is saying in this passage, so many amazing truths that that's where I focused my attention. I hadn't really turned around the other way to try to imagine how the the disciples were were, uh, experiencing this crazy night. And as I started to do that, um, I started realizing they were probably feeling a lot in that night like we are feeling in 2020. Emotional, anxious, disoriented, confused. The scene here in the upper room is Passover, as I mentioned. And the disciple, it's a meal that Jesus has gotten together to celebrate the Passover. They don't know it's called the Last Supper. We're the ones that call it the Last Supper because we know what's coming. They don't know what's coming. At the end of the night, almost the morning, Jesus is going to be arrested. But between here and there is all kinds of really awkward, terrible things happen. The night is about to go off the rails big time as, 13, as chapter 13 opens up. And if 2020 has seemed long to you, I'm sure this night seemed long to them. And it's really important for us to take a moment to really consider how Jesus addresses these feelings in his disciples because it's the same way, I believe, that he wants to address these feelings in us. So the evening starts with Jesus washing their feet. This is 13.1 right at the very beginning, if you're following along. If you've ever had your feet washed in, uh, by someone else in public, it can be very, very sweet, moving, religious experience, but it is going to be awkward. Amen? If you've ever had that happen, it is awkward. I want you to know that it was even more of an awkward thing in the ancient world because it wasn't a religious activity. It was a practical one. And Jesus' actions here regarding feet washing in the upper room are really kind of beyond embarrassing uh, socially for the, uh, for the disciples and bordering now on into disturbing. Firstly, the removal of the outer garment. It says very, very plainly that Jesus removes his outer garment. And, that, and what's left, what he's in after he takes that off is basically the uniform I read this week of a, of a servant, of a slave. In uh, wealthy households or public houses like the one where the disciples are dining, there would be the meal would have been served by servants, by slaves. Um, and so the first thing that the rabbi, Jesus being the rabbi or the teacher, he occupies the place of honor at the table for him to get up and take on, you know, basically put on the uniform of a servant was very uh, distressing and probably strange. It's an awkward moment socially. But then to make matters work, worse, he takes up a towel, begins washing the disciples' feet. Now to set this up for our understanding here, how, how un, kind of unthinkable this act is for the rabbi to do, uh, I want you to understand this. I, I didn't realize this until I read up this week, that, that Jewish servants could not be compelled to wash feet. Only Gentile servants could be compelled, made to wash feet. Um, so, so Jesus... After taking off his outer garment, identifying himself with the servants, now identifies himself with Gentile servants. 
Given this, it's, an under, it's kind of, you know, you get why Peter freaks out a little bit. I'm quite sure he's not the only one. This is surely a, a scene of complete kind of social disorientation for the disciples, a challenge, a turning absolute uh, reversal uh, that Jesus takes on, going from the seat of honor to the seat of disgrace and vulnerability. So this was disorienting, a disorienting moment. For the disciples. Have you felt disoriented in 2020? Studies show you're not alone. And the Bible tells you you're not alone. The disciples are, are, are disoriented here. Jesus can tell. He says to him as you follow along there, you won't understand this now, <laughs> but you will understand later. And that really applies to everything that he's saying. Everything that he's going to teach here is basically falls into this category of you won't understand this now, but you will understand this later. He recognizes they are totally confused. They are overwhelmed. Uh, uh, these 12 have, uh, uh, and then once Jesus kind of dresses himself and sits back down at the meal, things get weirder even still because Jesus drops another bomb by telling them that, that one of them is going to betray him and therefore betray everybody else. And these 12 have been together for three years now. They have gone through some major uh, stuff together. They have seen Jesus work miracles. They have, they have been spit on and, and, and rejected. They've been followed by crowds and rejected by crowds. Jesus has sent them into other cities with no money and said, do miracles over there. That's how you're going to eat. They've gone through some tough stuff together. And you know what happens when you go through something hard together with somebody. That creates a bond, doesn't it? And for one of those folks to be a betrayer, for one of those folks to be a, a Benedict Arnold, for one of those folks to be a, a traitor, man, that's distressing. That's hard. Uh, that's a double knife in the back. The disciples are feeling some paranoia. You can see in verse 22, they start looking around the table with suspicion. They, they're not sure which among them it could be. Have you felt some paranoia in 2020? Perhaps you've even felt feelings of betrayal and suspicion. If so, studies show you're not alone. The Bible shows you're not alone too. Even more distressing for the disciples is the fact that eventually, not tonight, but for some of them maybe, uh, it would become clear to them that Jesus knew who the traitor was ahead of time. He says, it's the one that's going to dip with me. He knows who it is. And Jesus chose to wash that traitor's feet anyway. Now, when we tell that story, we're like, what a guy, that Jesus. He even washed his, you know, this betrayer's feet. But that's not how they would have taken it in this, in this context, in this, in this time. It would have been seen as pandering to the enemy, you know, a cowardly act. He didn't confront the traitor. He pandered to him. He washed his feet. And when Judas gets up, if you walk it, watch it, he says quietly to him, do, do what you need to do. Quietly dismisses him to the point that some of the disciples who can't hear what he's saying think that he's just sent him out to get more wine or something. Now keep in mind that Jesus is about to rebuke Peter. Jesus is about to rebuke Philip. Jesus rebukes Thomas. So all the loyalists he rebukes, but the traitor he treats with kindness. Have you had a problem with a leader in your life in 2020? If so, you're not alone. 
polarization and suspicion of leaders is common, studies show. Now, in the interest of time, I won't go into as much detail here. Uh, but let me just say that Jesus is really on a roll when it comes to creating an awkward dinner. Uh, because after the whole Judas thing, he tells everybody that he is leaving them, that Jesus is leaving them. And Peter asks very reasonably, where are you going? And Jesus replies, where I'm going, you can't follow. Peter says, why not? I'm willing to follow you anywhere. I'll die for you. Why are you leaving? And Jesus says, oh, really, Peter? You're willing to die for me because you're going to deny me three times before the morning. Dang, Jesus. You know, it's like, uh, you think that the disciples are beginning to feel fear that they're going to be abandoned? Have you had feelings of abandonment and aloneness? And during 2020, if so, you're not alone. And after that, Jesus softens up a bit, tells them that the Spirit is coming, they will understand everything that they're going to, and he will re, it will be revealed by the Spirit that he is who he says he is. He's the Messiah, that he's from the Father. And then Judas, I want you to see this one. Look at, look at uh, chapter 14, verse 22. This is, this is really interesting. Judas, not that Judas, the other Judas, said, but Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now, I used to just read that as a, oh, I have an interesting question. That's an interesting question. Judas has for, Judas says, well, it's interesting what you're saying there, Jesus. Why would you choose to show yourself to us and not to the world? But I think that's not the, the tone of the question. I think this is a dawning in Judas, not that Judas. I think he's realizing, oh, Jesus isn't going to reveal himself to everybody else. I may have joined a cult. I told my family, this is the Messiah. They said, you're crazy. He's a nobody rabbi. He hasn't even gone to school. You're throwing your life away. And I said to them, just watch. Just wait. You'll see. Just watch. Just wait. You'll see. And Judas now realizes Oh, he's never going to show them. Why would you do that, Jesus? We've left everything behind. Why would, you, why would you just show yourself to us? This sounds like Scientology or something like that. What, 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 are, what are you? you you're going to tell us, but you're not going to tell everybody else, Jesus, what, what is going on here? Has anybody here reconsidered the direction of their life in 2020? Have you wondered if you needed to make a major change in 2020? If so, studies show you're not alone. I'm sure Judas was wondering if he needed to make a major change in this life. Now it will be only a matter of days until the Holy Spirit comes and Jesus is telling the truth. And the fears will be allayed, I'm sure, in Judas. Just as Jesus promised, this will all make sense. But in the meantime... And there is a little meantime here. Tonight and in, a, in a, you know, some days, the world of the 12 disciples has been turned upside down. Are you all hearing me? And Jesus himself knows 
that it's only going to get worse in the coming days for his 12 dearest friends. He knows he's brought everything they know and think about the nature of the Messiah and how Messiah is going to show himself in the world. He's turned that all upside down. He's brought everything they know into question. He knows the social order they grew up in has been toppled by him. He knows that their own reputations are going to come into question because of him. He knows that they are about to witness the state and the church working together to crush him right before their very eyes. He knows that they themselves will go into forced isolation. He knows that the future is about to get very uncertain for them. And into all that, Jesus speaks to them what I consider to be the very beating heart of this whole discourse, if not the very beating heart of the whole Christian faith, when he says in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I do not give as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Peace is what I have for you on this night where everything's been turned upside down. Peace is what I offer you in this year where everything's been turned upside down. Jesus is well aware that they are confused. He is well aware that they are afraid. He is well aware that you are confused. He is well aware that you are afraid. He is well aware of the way he has turned their world upside down. And what he offers them is peace. Now, most of us would think, when we think of peace as the absence of conflict, when we think of that word peace. But Jesus is offering so much more than the ceasing of conflict. In fact, what he is offering is something that will sustain the disciples through any conflict. Because what he's offering is shalom. Shalom. Now, if you have been here before at City Fellowship, we talk about this term a lot. In passing. But I am excited to say we are at the beginning of a new sermon series in which we will concentrate and, 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 and meditate on the meaning of shalom in depth over the coming weeks. But if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard me say that our English word peace that is used to translate often shalom in the Bible or irene in Greek, it, it, is, it is a word that cannot carry the truck of shalom. Its engines are not big enough for shalom. It, it, is, it is a piece of what shalom is in the Bible. And, and, and it does refer to often as a ceasing of conflict. But that's not all. It is a replacement with something else. Shalom, when the Bible talks about it, you've got to use a lot of English words to talk about shalom. You have to use words like wholeness completeness, restoration, vitality, flourishing, reconciliation, and rest. Those kinds of words. Oh, I can't wait to talk all about shalom and all that it is and all that it does because it's used as a noun and it's used as a verb. And what it means for us to become a people of peace, which I believe God is calling us to do, especially in this time and place. But for today, I want to talk about shalom in the context of this passage, the way Jesus is talking about it, just to introduce the idea and to give you a little hope about this year. Jesus 
talks about shalom here in this passage, in verse 27, which is our focus for today, as a gift. A gift he is giving the disciples, and he talks about how, very briefly, how his gift, his gift, stands in contrast to a gifts that the world has to offer. Take a look at verse 27 again. There's, it basically breaks down into three parts. First, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. He does start by saying, my peace I leave with you. That's to put it in context of the paragraph where he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's not going to leave them alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you my peace. The Spirit is the conduit. It's the vehicle by which he will deliver his peace to them. But the point is this. Jesus is giving them a gift. He says, my peace, my peace I give to you. That gift, that means, he says, my peace means that it's something that is his to give. He has the authority to give shalom because he is the owner of it. In fact, shalom is a part of the identity of Jesus. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, Jesus is our peace, our irene, our shalom. Isaiah prophesies that Jesus is the prince of peace, the prince of shalom. The angels declare that at his birth that he is the shalom of God come down and wrapped up in flesh here on earth. Therefore, we are safe to say that shalom belongs to Jesus. And he is choosing to give as he sees fit to the disciples. That's the first thing that Jesus is saying. Secondly, Jesus is saying, I do not give to you as the world gives to you. That tells me that the world tries to give to me too. Here Jesus is acknowledging the world offers a gift to the disciples and the world offers you a gift as well. And we should probably pause here for a moment to clarify who Jesus is talking about when he says the world. Sometimes we can use religious words and they just kind of roll by and we don't question them. What's he talking about when he says the world? Paul defines Jesus meaning well here, of using that term world, in Ephesians 2.1 when he says that all of us at one point follow the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil, another name for the devil, and the passions of our own flesh. Meaning, there is a competing prince. Jesus is the prince of peace. The devil is the prince of the air in which we are breathing in this world. And we all at one time followed the way of the world. We follow the course that the world lays out before us. Jesus offers a course. He offers a way. The world offers a way. The way the world works. So to be clear, when Jesus speaks of the world, he's not speaking of the earth, okay? Earth is good. God made the earth good. It suffers innocently under the weight of our sin. So the world is not the earth in Jesus' mouth. We should also be clear that Jesus is not talking about what we sometimes in the church call the secular world. Did y'all talk about the secular world? Those of you that grew up in the church, did you talk about secular music? The music out there, it's Christian music, secular music. Jesus makes no such distinctions because he made up music, and it's good. And there's some music that gets sold as Christian that is pretty worldly. So he's not talking about all that's outside of the church because the world is all up in the church, ain't it? He does use distinction of godly and ungodly. And you can be ungodly in church or you can be godly in church. 
You can be godly outside the church. You can be ungodly outside the church. All belongs to him. He's not going to use those distinctions. So when Jesus talks about the gift the world offers, he's talking about the Romans and the gifts that they offer. But he's also talking about the Pharisees and the gifts that they offer, too. He's talking about the secular culture and the gifts that they offer. But he's also talking about the secularized church culture that we have brought in following the ways of the world in the church as well. He is pointing out that the gifts they offer, the world offers, will have effects in your life. And those effects will stand in stark contrast to the effects that shalom will have in your life. And that leads us to the third thing that he's saying in this little phrase, this one little verse. He is saying, do not let your hearts be troubled because I have given you shalom. So the, 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 the fruit of shalom is that you are not troubled. Do not be afraid. The fruit of shalom is the absence of fear, the presence of courage. You see what I'm getting at here? If y'all are with me, say amen. In the midst of uncertainty, that they will, even in the midst of the unrest that they're going to face, they need not be troubled because he has given the gift of shalom, and the fruit of shalom is peace. It is courage. It is, not, it is the opposite of fear. It's the opposite of trouble. If they will receive the gift of shalom. Now the inference is this. If they accept instead the gift that the world gives, right, then that gift will have its fruits as well. And those fruits are that they will be troubled. And they will be afraid. They will experience fear. These are the natural outworkings of the gift the world gives. So, I'm getting close-ish to the end. All right? As I get close-ish to the end, as I say I'm wrapping up for the first time, y'all know I got three of those, right? <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about these two contrasting gifts, the gift that Jesus gives and the gift the world gives, okay? Fair enough? And I'll be done. From the perspective of the Bible, shalom, and we'll talk a lot more about this as, as we're going on, is about divine order, okay? Now, we want to be sure to talk about this very carefully. We want to understand it. Shalom is all of creation operating in concert, if you will. What does concert mean? It means lots of different, you know, singers and instrumentalists playing individual parts, but playing them together into a whole that blends together, amen? Right, harmony? Okay? So a concert that is under the direction the conduction of the creator of all creation. Y'all with me? Okay. A complex, I want you to think about this, a grand, beautiful choir singing in complex harmony under the direction of the composer of the song. The, beyond that, the maker of the voices. This is an image of shalom, the completeness, the wholeness of a building built according to the design of the architect and being used for the intention that he made it for. Turn briefly with me to Colossians 1, if you will. And I'm going to return to this passage a couple times, a gigantic statement about what shalom is. Colossians is a little book. You turn it to your right. It's about there. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. I'm going to read to verse 18. Listen to this. The Son is the image of 
of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Y'all hearing this? What does this mean? Jesus was the, the, the way creation was, came to be, the means by which. In him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Look at 17. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is, listen now, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that, listen now, this is important, in everything he might have the supremacy. This is an image of shalom. All things created through and for Jesus, held together by him and in him. Jesus is our creator. He created the world in shalom, and that's why he has the authority to give shalom. In this way, as our creator, God is first in divine order. Everything else is ordered under that headship of Jesus, Jesus is supreme in all things. When Jesus is supreme in all things, the effect is shalom. Are y'all with me? When Jesus is supreme, when Jesus sits in the seat of supremacy, what happens is shalom. But, and y'all hear me, when anything or anyone else sits in the seat of supremacy, what ensues is disorder. Things are out of order. Disorder. This is the contrasting gift that the world offers in place of shalom. Chaos. Disorder. But hear me now. Hear me now. We get the wrong idea about chaos a lot and disorder. All right? Listen to me now. Chaos can be very, very organized. Would you agree, sister? Disorder can be very, very neatly rowed and neatly groomed and all be wearing the same clothes and looking nice and neat. Disorder is not folks running around catching stuff on fire and, you know, in the eyes of the Bible. Disorder happens when anything, anyone, any group is supreme, sitting in the place that Jesus is supposed to occupy. This next part, if you're new, you need to understand, we kind of talk about things bluntly sometimes in church. All right? This is why you have to be wary. You have to be a thinking person. You got you to gotta turn your... See the red flag and start to listen close and put your thinking cap on. When politicians start talking about law and order. Remember, order is not just calm in the streets. Order has to do with who is at the front of the line. Order has to do with who is sitting in the seat of supremacy. Who is supreme in your system? So let me give you one example from 2020, and it's one that is present for us now. And I want to be clear, and I want to be unequivocal. 
What I pray has become painfully clear to all of us in 2020 is that America has been built on a system of white supremacy that has endured to this day. This is not to say there hasn't been progress. We're going to talk about it in just a second. But that white supremacy has endured to this day. Now, when you hear the words white supremacy, I don't want you to think of Nazis and KKK because that's other folks. That's crazy folks. That those folks out there, I have no responsibility for that. Supremacy has to do with who is at the front of the line. You don't have to say amen, but I can't see much of your faces. All right? Just keep that in mind. Now, I do not think this is a matter of debate that white people have been in the front of the line in America since its founding. The equality that is written into the Constitution was written by the hand of slave owners and the architects of the Trail of Tears. Now, despite what they wrote on paper, I am not condemning them as human beings. I'm not saying America ain't no good and had never done anything good. What I'm saying is that there is some poison at the root of the tree. And despite what they wrote on paper, they created an orderly system of operation with white men at the front of the line. Now, at various times in our history, that system has been challenged, and those times have been characterized by some periods that have been called chaotic in our history. The women's suffrage movements in the 30s, the native rights movement in the 70s, the civil rights movement of the 60s, the Black Lives Matter movement of the 2020s. All these moments have been called by some voices, some voices as chaos, tumultuous times. And during each of them, there have been calls for law and order. Some folks have used those phrases to call earnestly. They just want peace. They have used those terms to call for calm. They have used those terms to honestly say, let's come to the table and let's talk. But we got to also be honest and say that some of those voices calling for order were calling for a return to the normalcy of white supremacy. Well, I think it's important to say today that the order that is offered by any system in which any person or group is sitting in this place of supremacy, that system is what Jesus is calling chaos. Okay? That system is what the Bible calls disorder. No matter how much calm that system offers, in the eyes of the Bible, it is chaos. And chaos is the opposite of shalom. Now, brothers and sisters, we are living in a time when false order is being challenged, where disorder is being challenged, a time when it has been revealed that an imposter is sitting in the seat of supremacy that is reserved for Christ. We are witness to a time when a false order is, is beginning, Lord Jesus, to crumble a bit. Uncertainty comes with that. Nervousness comes with that because we don't know any other way and we don't know what's next. These are uncertain times to be sure, but these are not chaotic times. 
Y'all hearing me? In the, in the biblical language, these are not chaotic times. I hope this is a comfort to your soul. It's been a comfort to my soul. This week to think that unchallenged white supremacy is what the Bible calls chaos. So when I hear the call of Black Lives Matter, I don't hear a call for chaos. I hear people crying out for shalom. When I see people in the streets demanding a change, I don't see chaos in those streets. I see a demand for chaos to come to an end. Now, I know movements aren't perfect. This is a, this is a secular movement. Lord Jesus. It's a secular mu- movement. Now, what have we just said? Who, who says what's secular? Who, 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 who drew that line, secular and, and holy? Human beings. Not God. He says it all belongs to me. And he used Pharaoh. You don't think he can use some, somebody that don't believe in him to do his work? Yeah, he can. And I'm not saying these movements are perfect. I know they aren't naming the name of Jesus. I know that. But listen to me now. Here's what else I know. There is a longing in the human heart for shalom. And there's a breaking of the human heart when shalom is broken. And there's a breaking of the spirit when shalom is broken. And there is a shelf life on that, thank God. Because God breathed his spirit into us. And we can't handle it for too long. They need to recognize. Let me hunker down a minute. (laughs) Even though fallen human beings are in the bad habit of tearing down one God and putting up another. And that's always a danger. Believers in Jesus need to be able to recognize a longing for shalom when they see one. They need to recognize a call. They need to recognize when a call for law and order has nothing to do with law, has nothing to do with peace, and has everything to do with protecting an order that is against shalom. So, see, white supremacy is not the only threat to shalom that this world has ever faced, nor will it be the last. It's not the one that we're, only one that we're facing now, but it is one that we are facing now. It is in front of us now. We have a responsibility now. And this white supremacy is a twisted gift that the world has offered us. It's a disorder masquerading as order that the world has offered us. And its fruit has, has now is now and always has been chaos. And if we continue to receive it as we have, even within the church, for the last 400 years in this country, then we should not be surprised that our hearts are troubled and that our hearts are gripped by fear. Oh, but Jesus says to you and I, I give you my peace. In the midst of this time, I give you my peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. I don't give what the world gives. I don't give the poison and the chaos the world gives. I don't give the next poison that's coming up after this one. I give peace. My peace I give to you. Receive it and whatever circumstances around you, whatever else 2020 throws at you, because we still got a couple months left. Who knows what's going to happen? Maranatha, (laughs) right? Come, Lord Jesus. Come on. (laughs) I'm ready for you. But we got two months left of 2020, so far as we know. 
Whatever it throws at you, let your heart not be troubled. Do not be afraid. Listen to me now. Listen to me now. The, singer, the singers are going to come up and get ready to sing. But don't let that distract you. Y'all listen to me now. Okay? Your heart will not be troubled if you will receive the gift of Christ. You will not be afraid if you receive the gift that Christ offers to you this morning of his peace. Those of you that are with us online, we do have some folks online. Hello. Y'all listen to me now. Turn up the volume. Those of you that are here, that are online, listen to me now. Singers, you listen to me now. Listening, As you get ready. <laughs> because I want you to sing like this is true, okay? Listen now. The sun is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him. He holds all things together, and he is the head of the body. He is the head of this body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness in him, and through him, listen, to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by doing what? By making peace, it says in Colossians. By remaking shalom through his blood shed on the cross. Let me pause here and say the creator made this world in peace. We plunged it into chaos, but he was not pleased to leave it there. Jesus comes to take back what was his and reestablish his shalom. So let me continue once, 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 once. All of you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Once you were an agent of chaos. So don't be judgy about other agents of chaos. Okay? But now, if you have received Christ, listen now. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Are you willing to forgive as you have been forgiven? So, continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope of peace that is held out in the gospel listen to what Paul says in Colossians this is the gospel that you heard shalom is the gospel you have heard and that been that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven this is the gospel that you and I Paul says Christian have become a servant of so let your heart not be troubled do not be afraid, not in the upper room, not in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Not in the valley of the shadow of death. Not even in the depths of the year 2020. Chaos will not prevail. The arm of justice is long, but it bends, it bends, and it bends towards shalom. Chaos will not prevail. Shalom will prevail. One day these swords will be pounded into plowshares because his peace has been given to us. If you can say amen to that, say amen to that.